Welcome to the Fully Delighted Podcast, a hopeful and helpful resource from South Mountain Community Church, a multi-site church in Utah. Each week we will be hearing from our staff as we explore what makes SMCC unique, as well as what it means to be fully devoted and fully delighted in Jesus Christ. We hope this podcast can be a helpful resource for you to take your next step with Jesus. Hey everyone, Adam here for another episode of the Floyd Delighted Podcast. Just want to give you a heads up on this episode for today. Um, This is a bit of a unique episode. We want to bring something back that uh, we think is important for you guys to hear. Um, This week, uh, several of our staff are are on vacation, out of town, spending time with their family and investing in them. And so we wanted to just bring back an episode that if you haven't listened to yet, this would be beneficial for you. So we want to bring an episode back all the way from when uh, this is, you know, kind of a throwback back to when this uh, this podcast started, uh, really when the pandemic was just really starting up. Um, and, and we wanted to just bring people kind of on the inside of, of SMCC and, uh, and what we think and how we do it and our philosophy of ministry and all these things. So if you haven't listened to season one of the Fully Delighted podcast, this is a great sneak peek for you to maybe uh, listen to and then go back and listen to those previous episodes. So here you are. Here's a throwback back from season one. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Fully Delighted Podcast. This is a conversation to help you live with more delight and less despair. And my name is Adam. I'm the Campus Support Team Director at South Mountain Community Church. And I'm uh, here with Paul Roby, the lead pastor of SMCC, and also Eric Nelson, one of our teaching pastors here. And we are really excited to have you here today. Guys, welcome to our, our first podcast. And it's great to be here. I'm Paul Roby, as Adam already mentioned, and being the lead pastor of SMCC, I just uh, was really excited about an opportunity to come to you and explain more about the why behind the what of SMCC, kind of what influenced me, what got uh, my mind going in the direction that actually ended up being our philosophy of ministry that kind of fuels uh, SMCC's direction. Mm-hmm. You know, Paul, I'm really excited about this conversation because uh, when I came on staff, this idea of delight was honestly new for me. And and now I couldn't imagine doing church uh, or following Jesus without delight as the primary thing. So mm-hmm. this is this is really a fun conversation. And, uh, you know, before we press on, I just wanted to say it took a quarantine to convince Paul to finally do a podcast. So yeah. um, I'm glad that we finally have the opportunity <laughs> to sit down and have this conversation. So Yeah, and I'm excited to have, you know, you guys here and talk about these things, because these are even things that maybe I don't know in depth about. I think a lot of people um, who would listen may, do, may not know in depth about these things a lot either. Uh, But before we get into kind of going into the podcast, I just want to remind everybody, if you're curious about SMCC, maybe you don't attend SMCC, you can always visit smcutah.org to find uh, our messages, to see a little bit more about our churches as well. You can um, find a lot more information there. And then also, we would just want to encourage you guys, if you enjoy this, if you think this would be helpful to to somebody else, we'd ask that you would, you know, share this with people, that you would subscribe, that you would rate this podcast, uh, because we want to help people uh, live with uh, more light and less despair. And we think that uh, this is a, an avenue amongst many avenues to to come about that. And so I just want to encourage those of you listening uh, with that as well. Uh, with today, this is really our first 
episode, um, and there's a lot to kind of get through, and, and we've got a lot that we want to get to. Uh, but really what I want to look at and kind of dive into first is we've got this this church here, South Mountain Community Church. It's been around for over 20 years. There's a lot happening here. God is uh, doing a lot of uh, great things. Um, and, and, and here's really where this starts with, Paul, I want to ask you just your background, because I think listeners, some know you, some don't know you, some know you well, some just barely know you, just see you preach every once in a while. Can you give us like a snippet, uh, a short version of a, your life story? Just kind of tell us where you came from, where you grew up. Like, just tell us a little bit about who you are. Right. Uh, this is probably going to be more difficult than you imagined to just kind of give a short snippet because to tell you the truth, uh, the founding of SMCC was a, a crazy exper- experiment for me. I uh, had a lot of different church experiences, a lot of different influences in my life. And I got to the point where at about 40 years old, I, I said to myself, I want to try to do a church that I can really believe in, that I can really give all my effort to and uh, actually see if this will work. And I had, uh, like I said, all kinds of influences that started all the way back to when I was a kid. I grew up in a church that really wasn't great. It was influenced by neo-orthodoxy. It was influenced by liberalism, theological liberalism. It had basically left the Bible as their authority. And yet when I would go to my grandparents' house and I'd go to their Presbyterian church with my parents who were both um, married in the Presbyterian church, both, you know, were active members in one of the best Presbyterian churches in America, boy, that church was completely submitted to God's Word as their authority. And so I constantly saw a difference between liberal theology and liberalism in terms of what that, how that plays out in a, in a church situation and what it produces, kind of the fruit of liberalism, and also then what a good church looks like. And so I, I was always looking at that just as an example. Um, in fifth grade Sunday school, we had a, a real believer teaching our Sunday school class, and he was walking us through the scriptures. And then in sixth grade, uh, we were in our Sunday school class, we were talking about transcendental meditation and, and practicing that. At Easter time, it was a lot more about new life of spring than it was about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We had a pastor who did not believe in miracles. And so it was, it was crazy. And so that was a major influence in my life. And I would say uh, it resulted in an unbelievable amount of confusion. So I'm listening to that, and and I think that's super interesting. And one question that I think about as I'm even kind of backing up a little bit is, you know, so you had this influence of church in your life growing up. Um, one, Some of the language that we use at SMCC, though, is that, you know, there's a point in your life where you kind of trade allegiances from yourself to Christ. And when was that point for you, and, and mm-hmm. how was that influential in you growing up as well? And, and all these things, you know, that you're talking about in, in growing up at a young age. Well, I really uh, remember several times in my life uh, that I was bound and determined to read my Bible. I wouldn't make it very far through. So in some ways, I was a God seeker. But uh, because of my church situation, um, and I'm the youngest of four children, all all my brothers and sisters had dropped out of church by the time I got to high school. Uh, I had really, for all intents and purposes, dropped out of church. And then 
I think being the quarterback of the football team uh, in my freshman year, I was a target for some young life leaders. They wanted to start a young life ministry at our high school, and and so they latched onto me and invited me to young life. And you know, the fact is, I thought I was a Christian. I know that Mike Bell likes to say, just because. Uh, you're in a garage doesn't make you a car. <laughs> and yet, because I went to church, I had a church background, I thought I was a Christian. At least I, I wasn't a I wasn't a Muslim, I wasn't a Buddhist, I must be a Christian. And and so that was my approach. I'll go to this Christian thing because I am a Christian. But after about a year, a year and a half of listening and participating, and once I got into a Bible study and started to have God's word penetrate my my mind and my heart. The Holy Spirit went to work and revealed the fact that I was a sinner in need of a savior. So at 15 and a half years old, I gave my life to Christ and boy, I never looked back. It was it was very very impactful for me. So Paul, as I hear you talking, something just sparked uh, in my in my mind. Oftentimes we hear people say, um, I was always a Christian. Well, I guess I was just always a Christian. What I'm hearing you say is that that wasn't the case for you, and that statement is a little misleading. Um, what would you say about that statement um, and and how it connects to your story or how it connects to, I mean, everybody's story, because we hear that often. Well, what was interesting is I, I think I literally uh, went 15 years of my life without hearing a clear explanation of the gospel. Mm. And what's interesting is that my young life leaders could not explain just about anything from the Bible, but they got one thing right, and that's the gospel. <laughs> I mean, they were so unsophisticated biblically. They just loved people, and we kind of opened the Bible together, and we taught each other. It was that kind of raw. Yeah. For people who don't know what Young Life is, what's Young Life? Mm -hmm. Young Life is a ministry that um, is specific was specifically designed to— um, really reach out to kids right where they were at. Mm -hmm. and, and instead of making them come to church first, they were going to go to the youth. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I do want to give a little bit of background to that. And hopefully this isn't boring because it's history. And I know a lot of people have an allergic reaction to history. But in the United States, there really was no youth ministry in the churches until the 19. 50s, pretty much. And the fact is, is that in the United States, there was no youth culture mm -hmm. until the 50s. You see, sometime between uh, the World War I and World War II, there was a transition in America, and that meant that more teenagers actually stayed in high school and were in high school to the point of graduation than that were not. And so for the first time, there really was a youth culture being formed. And that's where you see uh, Buddy Holly, Elvis Presley, Pat Boone, uh, all these guys in the 50s were teen idols, mm -hmm. and, they, and they developed their own music. Well, with the threat of communism— uh, in the United States, and I know there's a lot of people here that can't even imagine a threat of communism in the United States, but truly people were freaked out. And so the government encouraged churches to do things with the youth that would connect them to not just the church, but to American values. Mm -hmm. And so 
high schools were opened up for Youth for Christ, another ministry aimed at teenagers and young life and all kinds of things. And so these new ministries, Billy Graham was a Youth for Christ speaker Mm -hmm. that traveled all over the United States before he did his you know, big Coliseum Mm -hmm. events, evangelistic events. And so then with that in the 60s, um, all kinds of churches were in upheaval because now there was a youth culture that was rebelling against their parents' culture. Mm -hmm. And so for the very first time, Christianity uh, was, was in a situation where they had to respond to the fact that young people didn't like the old music Mm -hmm. and they didn't like the old culture. And so, the Jesus movement in the 60s, late 60s, early 70s got going, and I was a part of that. Mm-hmm. That's when I got saved. 1971 is when I got saved, and that was at the very uh, front end of the wave of the Jesus movement. Mm. And so Christian music, uh, as we know it, uh, rock type of Christian music, contemporary music, uh, was was just getting its feet underneath it. There's Larry Norman, Randy Stonehill, Love Song, all these kind of you know Chuck uh, my Gerard, father, my all these kind of loves these folks. yeah, all these people. And like, um, it's hard to understand how bad that music was, but it was ours in a sense. It was Christian rock music. It was revolutionary, and. Um, I was part of that. I was part of the Jesus movement. And so that's when worship wars started in the church. And, you know, young people wanted their music. Older people wanted their music. And so that's all that 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 that's kind of baked into the whole young life phenomenon. Youth for Christ phenomenon was uh, a burgeoning youth culture that didn't want what their parents wanted. Man. Fascinating, fascinating stuff. Yeah, it's interesting to hear all that and, and the history of how that affected uh, not only just, you know, American history, the church's history, really, you know, part of world history. Um, and now for you, you were really kind of in these segments of, of, of history as this evolved. For you, so you got, say, you know, you, you gave your life to Christ at, at 15. Um, and then shortly after that, you start going to school, I assume, get involved in ministry. Mm-hmm. Give us a quick snippet of, of what happened, you know, in your 20s and 30s there. Well, you know, sometimes people talk about, you know, they got radically saved. Uh, I think from the outside, yeah, I didn't party like I used to, but my parents are good parents, and and I had a real, you know, sense of uh, morality, and uh, I didn't have a lot of, you know, big-time internal issues to get over with. And so I kind of had a head start, and I I could hit the ground running because I did have a background in the Bible. And so, boom, my junior year, I started to teach a Bible study at high school five days a week. And I I mentioned that because it drove me into the Scriptures five nights a week so that I wouldn't look foolish that next Noon, And so at noontime, at, at lunchtime at high school, I had a little Bible study, five to 10 people every single day. And um, I think that that kind of grounding in the scriptures and the, the, the mentoring I received from some, some pretty special adults uh, in helping me prepare for those Bible studies was key to my entire Christian ministry. Now, after that, and I'm talking about the Jesus movement here, every, everybody's talking about Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's hard to even imagine uh, that today, how how this was a hot topic. 
But by the time I was a senior, we had decided to start a Bible study on Sunday nights. And there was a guy that was a freshman in college that played guitar and sang just amazing. And uh, John Blanco was his name. And he and I teamed up. I did the teaching. He did the music. And we had 80 seniors in high school uh, at our Bible study on Sunday nights. This is the Jesus movement. And um, it's kind of interesting because uh, Rick Henderson and and his wife, uh, you know, were at SMCC. And uh, so they t- they— they uh, Rick lived with his in-laws in in Grass Valley, California, which is twenty miles away, and they talked about being in a Bible study basically at the same time I was in high school, and how their Bible study was huge too. And so, let me tell you, it wasn't me; it was kind of the sign of the times. Everything was just busting loose spiritually at the time, and that that represented eighty students represented one third of my high school senior class. And, and that's how amazing that time was. Mm-hmm. And it really did impact me. Well, I'll tell you this. Christianity, and, and, and especially in terms of young life, and why it was actually more effective than many churches is they expected non-Christians to be in the room. Mm-hmm. They expected mm-hmm. non-Christians to be able to respond to this gospel. And because of that, uh, they removed all kinds of barriers to the non-Christians. They just made the gospel, you know, very easy to understand and uh, tried to eliminate the cringe factor. Mm -hmm. Some of the things that we talk about today, that's what was going on back then. And that's what I think fueled the Jesus movement. Mm -hmm. And what's what's interesting about this is I hear you mentioning, some of our listeners may not know some names, you know, we mentioned Mike Bell before, who's a current campus pastor at our Draper campus, who I know has a lot of influence in history in uh, SMCC. Mentioned Rick Henderson, uh, uh, Draper campus pastor uh, before Mike, um, who had a lot of influence as well. Um, and, and just talking about the the things that SMCC tries to do, Some I hear some, some snippets here and there. How did you decide now, kind of fast forwarding to SMCC is now how many years old? Oh, 22 years old. 22 yeah. years old. How did that start or how did you know SMCC come to be and, and, and some of these people that you're talking about come into influence here? So you're thinking snippet. I'm thinking long history. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I tell you, I'll just give you the brief rundown. I went to college at Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo. I started a Bible study in my dormitory for um, um, a ministry called InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. Uh, it was made up of 100% non-Christians. And I just loved that. I loved trying to explain the Bible to people who had no background at all. And, and I think that has stuck with me. Uh, that thing grew. I started, I took over a, a college ministry in a uh, church there, Grace Church in San Luis Obispo. The youth pastor just handed it to me. He mentored me. We met once a week. That was very for me, uh, you know, formulative in my life. And uh, I was the Wednesday Bible study night speaker. And so that gave me a lot of ups, you know, opportunity to speak and teach and do that. Went to seminary uh, in uh, Southern California at Talbot Theological Seminary. And I think that's an important piece of the puzzle because that taught me how to study and exegete the scripture. And, and I think that at that, it was part of being at a real 
rigorous theological seminary that really taught me that it's important to get it right. And the, something that we were just talking about a little bit earlier today was that SMCC is not the kind of church that always wants to be right. We're, we're not looking down at other churches. But I'll tell you something, it's important that we get it right, especially theologically. We want to be clear and we want to understand this uh, so in such a deep and meaningful way that we can explain it to people in ways that connect with them. That is what it means to get it right. Eric, I know that's important to you, too. Yeah, it really is. You know, Paul, as I'm listening to you talk about your story, um, I don't think I ever realized how similar our stories are, especially around this this time of high school. Um, for people who don't know my story, uh, I grew up in a very loving, loving home. Uh, I, I was bored, though, which has sort of been the inspiration of some of this new series that we're doing, which you can find on our website. But um, uh, went to church just a little bit, had a season in my life where my parents thought we should take the kids to church just so, you know, it, it somehow in, impacts them. You know, we want them to be well-rounded. Let's put some religion in their lives. So we went to an Episcopal church. And um, and and so I kind of listened, but it never made sense. Like, I don't remember one message or one helpful truth from that experience. It was probably my fault, um, not theirs, but I don't remember that. And so um, I get into high school. Uh, I'm living for myself because I'm bored. I'm going to self, you know, self-entertainment, instant gratification, just living that way of life, still in a loving, loving home like you, not dealing with a whole bunch of internal things, just bored. And um, and so then I get to my senior year of high school and there was a couple, couple buddies, um, Matt and Andrew, who were cool Jesus followers. I didn't know you could be cool and be a Jesus follower. And these guys, uh, proved that that was the case. And so I said, I have to investigate this a little bit more. So I went, uh, to our family bookshelf in the living room and I looked up and I knew my mom had some old Bibles up there. And so I pulled this Bible down and I, you know, somehow I knew to start in the New Testament because I knew if I started in the old, this would, this would never take, you know? So I start reading, um, and I read most of the New Testament about two weeks, um, and was convinced Jesus was worth following. I don't think I, um, had, you know, clearly knew the gospel, but I knew this, Jesus was cool. He, he was loving and I wanted to follow someone like that. That's probably all I knew about Christianity. So I, I basically said yes to Jesus. I told my friend Luke, uh, whose dad was a pastor and would eventually be my boss at one point. Um, and so we started a Bible study in our high school. It was the senior year. It was my senior year. And uh, it was at McDonald's. And we met in some living rooms, but really got involved uh, in leadership. I think it was, you talk about being on a, being the quarterback. I played in bands, type kind of type A, energetic type of person. So that personality kind of put me into spots where I wanted to study the Bible with people who didn't know the Bible. And, and, um, and so we started doing that. And like you said, being really raw, I remember opening up, you know, I, I got enough people in the room to have the Bible study, but I didn't know what the Bible meant. I didn't know what it was either. So here we are trying to piece this together. And so, and so over time, um, one thing led to another. And then I volunteered at the youth ministry that my friend's dad was a the pastor of that church. And that turned into a an internship. And then uh, I went to a, another church, this really small church in Woodland, Washington. It had purple carpet. Okay. Purple carpet. Cause, cause Jesus is King. So it's Royal colors. Okay. Obviously. Yeah. So purple carpet. And uh, I remember being 20, 21 years old, um, on staff there. In fact, people from this church still listen to South mountain messages to this day. Um, cause they knew me from way back when I was, that was 13 years ago. But they gave me a chance to preach a series. I mean, three weeks in a row, two adults, a few 50 adults or something like that. And that really got my reps in. And I went to seminary uh, in Portland, Oregon, Multnomah University. Um, 
Paul. And so I think what I hear you saying is there's this passion for people who are far from God, and there's this passion um, for God's truth at the same time. And you put those two things together in your own journey, and I put those two things together in my own journey, and I think that's um, a big part of how this team functions um, and a big part of why I love South Mountain is that it's an environment for people who are who, who don't know much about the Bible, an environment for people who have been burned in church experiences, but an environment where truth matters immensely. And you put those two things together, and um, man, it's it's a joy. So I see how your story connects to my story. Oh, yeah. In fact, it's kind of interesting. A couple of your seminary professors are guys that, you know, are, are my friends from yeah. either Bakersfield or from Talbot Theological Seminary. And that was kind of the connection. Yeah. That's how I eventually made my way out here. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I do want to mention that I did go to um, a church in high school that was a reaction to liberalism. And so it was a Bible church, and it's the kind of church that— wanted to be right. Mm-hmm. And they they basically spent a lot of time showing that other churches were wrong, mm. and they took pride in that. And then a, a, a church that I went to in college um, presented a gospel that kind of had in its background a God that was angry. Mm. The pastor yelled a lot. Mm. And um, these are two churches that we're actually pretty good churches. I, I'll have to say the pastors were dedicated, but you would not bring a guest to these churches. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there is no way. Um, just not a healthy you know, environment for somebody who had no background in the Bible to, to come. And I think that, that that stuck with me quite a bit. And so I always kind of had in the back of my mind, I want to be the kind of church that isn't like the church I grew up in that stood for nothing and everybody could believe whatever they wanted to believe. Really, you know, the idea of you have your truth, you know, live your truth was pretty popular in the 60s hmm. and then the 70s, not just today. And that type of church uh, is unappealing because nobody's life changes in those kind of churches. But then the opposite of that, just harsh, just, just you know, hit people in the head with the Bible and and try to make people feel as guilty as possible. And people walked out knowing they've been to church because they feel awful about themselves, that type of church. Mm-hmm. I needed to do something better. Mm-hmm. And, and that really did, those kind of influences, I should say, really did form that the, the foundation of who SMCC would eventually become. Wow. So uh, I've heard you tell this story before. When you were in Bakersfield, California, there were two options for places to go to start a church. Tell, <laughs> tell us that story, because I, I love hearing that. Yeah, the two two options. I, I, I turned 40 and asked that question that nobody should be asking unless they're ready to change their life, and that is, can I see myself doing for the rest of my life what I'm doing now? And at yeah. 40 years old, Say that's, that again because I think some yeah, 40 years old, that. you <laughs> ask that question. Can I see myself doing what I'm doing now for the rest of my life? Is that a little late to ask that question, Paul? Or, or yeah. it probably is, but I, I was part of a very good church. Um, think about it this way I had already paid off my house at 40 years old. Wow. Um, I was making a very good salary in one of the most well-respected churches in Bakersfield. There wasn't a lot wrong with my situation, but I was like you. I was bored. Yeah. 
And so I went to get a doctorate Mm -hmm. and started to study. And then that connected me with, oh, yeah, I really want to do this type of church. And that really matters to me. And boy, if I could just try this. And I got all these, the juices flowing again. And I knew I couldn't do it there. And so I looked at the map and I said, where could I do this? And I had taught a Bible study. Uh, between college. I graduated in three and a half years from college and then seminary. So I had six months between college and seminary. I taught a Bible study in uh, the Haight-Ashbury district of San Francisco during that time. And that Bible study grew. And I had a real affection for San Francisco because it was such a dark place. And And I knew that it needed good churches. And then my buddy in Utah, Scott McKinney, kept inviting us out. And we would Jenny and I and the boys would come out and visit him and 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 look what he was doing and he's in Orem, Utah, little evangelical free church there and he was doing a great job and I'm thinking, boy, this place needs a church too. And so one time he he showed me Draper and, and Jenny and I drove around Draper, it was about twenty thousand people at the time. Uh, the best restaurant in town was Guadalajanquis, if that tells you anything. Still, so still <laughs> we almost didn't come to Utah <laughs> because of that. But at the same time, those were places on the map that I really considered. And I'll tell you, in in many ways, I chickened out and came to Utah. <laughs> wow. I, I just didn't know that I had what it took to actually uh, – do wow. what it took to, to to be successful in San Francisco, and and I know it continues to be a very very difficult place. Sure. So you so you pick so you pick uh, Paul. Your phone's ringing. You pick yeah. You pick Utah. You pack up from Bakersfield. Sell the house. You get here. What does the first six months look like? I mean, what what's that process like? You knew nobody. I mean, you knew Scott down at Orem, <sighs> who's still a good friend. Yeah, job down there. you know, uh, we got here and we just started to work the Rolodex. And when we what's the Rolodex? <laughs> yeah, the, <laughs> back in the day, your contacts, okay, okay. Oh. in your phone. Okay. And the fact is, the is phone that book. <laughs> we didn't know anybody in Draper. We didn't know anybody in Salt Lake County, and so uh, we contacted as many people as we could and say, hey, do you know anybody who lives in the Salt Lake Valley? And and actually, somebody from our, our church in Bakersfield um, mentioned that their daughter lived there, and she was married to a guy named Nick, and he was a student at the University of Utah. So he was the first, you know, that couple's the first couple we reached out to, and we just invited him to be part of Bible study, not a church. Mm-hmm. And then... Uh, so we got here about April 1st. That was in April. He goes, yeah, I'd be do that. And then in May, uh, we met Scott and Christy Morgan. Uh, and Christy's mom went to uh, Scott McKinney's church. And we, we went to a Memorial Day barbecue with them. And uh, they were leaving Mormonism at the time. And... We talked to them about joining a Bible study. They say, yeah, we'd be interested. So that's our second couple. <laughs> and during this time, I'd started a Bible study at our condo development. And I had two Roman Catholic ladies uh, for a six-week Bible study. And I, and I thought to myself, I'm not going to build a church with these people. <laughs> these, these ladies were not church development type material. But I made a commitment to teach the Bible study. Every Thursday night, I taught that Bible study. And I think it was really important that 
I'd be faithful to those two ladies. They, I, I never have spoken to them or I've never seen them after those six weeks. But I think it, it showed to God that I would be faithful no matter how few. And so uh, just through you know circumstance, and believe me, I, Eric, there's times I would go to the golf course and say, I need to just go someplace. I need to meet somebody. I don't, how do you build a church from scratch? Oh, well, we tried anything. At the Draper Days in July, uh, we had a booth and I had a, um, probably a, what, 36 inch piece of cardboard with SMCC written on it, new church in town, uh, and about 15 uh, little brochures. And I met somebody there and gave that lady one, and she became part of our Bible study. We did an information meeting at the golf course, and 20 people showed up. And a couple couples from that came. We did a, a, a concert at a local uh, elementary school, Oak Hollow, and that concert brought two more families. Mm-hmm. And then we met a real estate agent, and then he helped bring people. And by the time Mike and Joni Bell and and their their two boys moved to you. Utah in August, we were ready to start two Bible studies. And so we had started that. And by the time we started SMCC, we had 14 adults. Seven of those adults were not yet Christian. So it was very much a, you know, come as you are type of Bible study. It wasn't just for Christians. And there's not a church planner in the world that would say we were ready to start. (laughs) Wow. But so, we started anyway. So you've said this before. Your goal, I mean, you didn't envision what we see now. I mean, five locations, thousands no. of people. Um, that that You didn't have that on your mind. Your mind was, if I don't have to take another job, that would be a win. Tell That's, us about that. Was that it? Yeah, when we moved here, not only did we not really know anybody, but uh, when we checked with the school district for uh, permission to meet in the schools, like we wanted to meet in Oak Hollow or maybe the high school here, uh, they said no. In fact, they had a, had systematically uh, arranged their policies so that churches would never be able to meet in any of their schools. And that's the Jordan School District at the time. And so we had to figure out where to meet. And so unfortunately, every single uh, open space for lease, I, I followed up on in in Draper, and only one uh, said yes to me, and that was a a building that wasn't even built yet. He just said, you know, future home of mm-hmm. and for lease, and uh, Randy Fellows, I'll never forget his name. He said, oh, I think so. Yeah, you got money. It's for lease. He didn't care if it was a church or not. And uh, so we rented, uh, we signed a three-year lease for 2,000 square feet. Wow. 2,000. And that's how it started, huh? It started with just going from family to family, meeting people, really quite literally starting from scratch. Um, I've heard you. I've heard you talk about, at the time that you came, um, which I'm forgetting the year, was it 99 or 98? 98. Mm-hmm. 98. I mean, the the options for churches of an evangelical church in Salt Lake County, or at least in the section, the southwest or southeast section of the valley, was pretty bare. There wasn't much there for that. Right. And there was not a functioning evangelical church, not even a Protestant church of any sort in Draper at the time. There had been wow. five 
uh, startups over the years in Draper, all five had failed. And so um, there was a Christian Missionary Alliance Church that um, had a pastor move to Draper almost the same time I did. And he was a couple months behind me. And, and so we opened up, and then two months later, he opened up. And so we were the first two. I think Adventure Church was the third uh, to really kind of come. And it was like boom, boom, boom. Mm-hmm. Uh, within two years, there was three evangelical churches in Draper. Um, and people told you, you're not going to make it. Oh, yeah. You were told that over and over again. Like this, was that going through your head? I mean, was there, well, I'll give you, to yourself, I, I'll give I don't you know a, if this is going to work. Quick story here. Um, Jenny and I went to church the first Sunday we were here. Took our boys to a church. It will remain nameless. And um, Jenny, being Jenny, talked to anybody in the lobby who would talk to her. And uh, actually connected with the pastor's wife. Didn't know it was the pastor's wife when she first started talking to her. And eventually we, we found that out. And so she asked Jenny, what brought you to Utah? And she said, well, we're here to start a church. And she goes, oh, okay, well, that's great. Uh, what kind of church? And Jenny said, a church that reaches LDS people. We're here to help LDS people take their next step into a relationship with Christ. And this lady said, yeah, that doesn't work. Wow. It's not going to happen. So, I, And Jenny said, this is classic. Well, then we just made the worst mistake of our lives. <laughs> that absolutely sounds like something Jenny would say. Yes. However, uh, we're going to give it our best shot. Good. Yeah. So what's crazy is I, as I hear this, this background that you're giving now, and I've heard this before, you come, you know, you're 40 years old, you're coming to plant a church in what would be called one of the, you know, there's probably a couple different areas of the United States that would be called church graveyards, where churches try to plant, they try to have influence, they try to reach people, and again and again and again, those churches fail in that area. And yet, now here we are 22 years later, and I know Paul's an incredibly humble man, so he would never say this, but SMCC has become, as, as, as I think I've got my facts correct, the biggest church in Utah likely, that is not an LDS church. Um, how does that come about now 22 years later? I mean, we can talk about you know the history and things, but what is it that allowed that success to happen? What are some of the pieces, some of the tools that you use, um, along with, you know, obviously God doing work in people's hearts to, to call them back to Him? But I mean, there's, there's lots of pieces to this that have allowed this to happen. Yeah, I, I think the key was, uh, and I'm going to give a lot of credit to Scott McKinney, uh, Scott had some buddies. Um, one was Ross Anderson, who was a pastor up in Roy. Another was Les McGee, who was a pastor up in Ogden. And I connected with these three men. We had lunch once a month, every month for three years. And I asked all the questions and I took notes and I just picked their brain. And these are three churches that were very effective at reaching LDS What kind of people. question? Could you give us an example? Oh, of what? top to bottom. You know, do you pass a plate? Do you, okay. uh, uh, how do you handle um, baptism? How do you handle, you know, whatever question, you know, what do LDS people think about this? What, you know, what? And so I basically learned uh, the culture from them and how to be culturally intelligent. Mm. And uh, at that time, 
I really did take a deep dive. Um, I'd already started on my cultural values of SMC and they're essentially the same. Jenny and I wrote those values when we were together at a church planning boot camp and they were just tweaked a little bit over the those three years. But when you think about belong before you believe, um, this is, um, I think, kind of a kind of a poke in the eye to the all the churches that are all about them, kind of country clubs. Mm-hmm. You know, like you have to clean yourself up, make yourself uh, attractive to us in order for you to be along here. That type of thing. Uh, another value that I think was essential to uh, our, our formation and our, our good start was the idea that uh, we're going to honor the process in which God changes people from the inside out because so many churches uh, want you to get saved and baptized and join the church on the same night, mm. you know, that kind of thing. Yep. And there's no process at all. And the the expectation is that you will pray a prayer right away the first time you hear the gospel. Well, we're not going to do that. We're going to actually give people room to breathe. We're going to honor a process. And nobody's going to feel pressured at SMCC because we're going to actually love people through that process instead of having this expectation of quick change. And and I, we just don't, don't want to be, we didn't want to be that church that was pressuring people because when you try to actually manipulate change, it, it uh, comes across as coercion. Mm. And people come into our church that were church wounded had a, had enough coercion in their life. Mm-hmm. They didn't want that. So I, I, I'm not going to run through all the values. We're going to do that on a later podcast. But, you know, these these were honed during those when – we when we were really small, during those formative years. And and really it is important that you start right. You know, the, the illustration about the pilot, if you're one or two degrees off and you stay on that bearing, you're going to be hundreds if not thousands of miles off by the time you get to your destination. Mm-hmm. Well, that's how important it is to start correctly. And I, and I want to credit those three men to be the kind of people that poured into my life and gave me enough wisdom to get it right the first time. So with those values in place, uh, tell us, kind of take us through the growth trajectory. So you had 14 people at this first Bible mm-hmm. study. You begin to meet, and I've heard you say you grew 50 by... 50 people at our first uh, service. Uh-huh. A lot of those were looky-loos, first time, you know, whatever. Yeah. But we never got below 50. Mm-hmm. And, but uh, a year and a half later, well, a year later, we were at about 150. And we had already taken out a wall. We had already gone to two services. And a year and a half later, we needed a new facility because mm-hmm. we were maxed out. And uh, and so we found a warehouse. We got into that, about 5,500 square feet. And so um, in year two, we were at 300. Mm-hmm. And so 150 people a year over a 20-year period, we we're 3,000 people at year 20. Was there a point where you're like, this is working? We're seeing what we came to do. Like, like I think it was you've said it was a grind for the those early years where you thought, well, this is it. After this, this is our last day. I mean, this is no one came today and no one's mm-hmm. coming back. And but when did you kind of maybe sit back and say, God, thank you because we are here now? Oh, I'll tell you, there was not a day in the first three or four or five years that we thought we've made it or we're going to be good. Uh, in fact, we were one hundred percent broke at. Uh, at and on Easter, 
our second Easter, mm. we were broke as a church. No money in the bank at all. Mm. And I told the story to my elders the other day in an email um, that uh, on Tuesday, my volunteer secretary called me and said, are you sitting down? And I had been sick from the moment I left the pulpit. It seemed like on Sunday at Easter, I'd been in bed just exhausted. And uh, I said, yeah. She said, uh, we just got a check for $50,000. And this was 20 years ago. 20 years ago. You had applied. I had applied. And you got to understand, as a church planner, I applied for grants. I, I was asking everybody for money. I, you know, if you played golf with me, I'd probably ask you for money. <laughs> I, I, I was raising money all the time. And that 50000 was like half a million dollars today. Mm-hmm. It it. It made all the all the difference for us, wow. and it, it got us over this hump. And man, I tell you, we never relaxed. See, um, when it, people walk through the doors now, it's e- it might be easy to think, "Oh, five locations and nice facilities, a um, lot of people in the room." It might be easy to think this has always been, or where did this come from? But no, it, in the early days, and, I mean, and still, there's challenges. But in the early days, it was touch and go. And I think that gives such an appreciation for your leadership and all the people who have invested into this ministry. Yeah, my wife was better than me at uh, <laughs> being relaxed about it. I, I, I tell you, I struggled with fear of failure. Mm-hmm. And she'd say, look, we're doing what God wants us to do. We're, we're being faithful. Don't worry about it. Wow. So there's so much history packed into this this really this episode that we've been on you know for 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 some time now and and i think it gives a great backdrop for just what smcc does now in terms of where we're at as a church how we operate um where we're headed um all these types of things and ultimately it's driven by you know theological values that we have as a church we've got a document that is the smcc way that guides us as to how we want to reach people how we want to operate in church um all these types of things and Really, I don't think it would do us justice to start this necessarily now. I feel like we've got enough in an episode here for for people to be able to understand a good backdrop and for us to go next week to start diving into that and to say, what is it that makes this so special? Not just go on the surface level. We've got the history. We understand you know, where you come from, your history that drew, drew you to to be a church or to plant a church like this. And so then that gives us the space now to actually go and to say, what does this look like? Mm-hmm. And so... For our listeners, I want to go ahead and wrap this up for today and say, you know, next week we're going to come back. We're going to sit down again. We're going to continue this process. Um, But really, we wanted to start jumping into more of those little pieces. And so before we wrap this up today and we kind of transition to next week and having more for our listeners to, to hear about, what do you guys... Do you have anything to say before we wrap up and just think about you know these types of things that we've been talking about today? Yeah, well, I'm excited to talk more about why and how I fell in love with SMCC. You know, I stumbled onto the scene uh, five years ago, so that would have been in in year 17. So you know, people have been running a marathon, and I just jumped in in the last little you know last little bit to run this next leg, but. I want to talk about kind of how I how I got here, you know, and and, and what it was about South Mountain that, uh, man, that uh, that drew me in. Paul's leadership and the team, and I often describe it this way. I feel like Paul 
in, in our and our our board of directors or elders. They sort of drafted me out of the out of the what's the last round of the NFL draft? I don't even know. Well, I mean it's yeah, way down there. There's lots of rounds, but okay, we'll call so it like the seventh round. Okay, yeah. I got drafted in the seventh round, coming out of this youth ministry in a small town and a small church and 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 but but Paul trusted me and um and I you know that you know, I think that's worth talking about, and then how I fell in love with the SMCC way. So I think that's coming up uh, in a later uh, conversation. But um, but man, the, the the things that have caused so many to fall in love with SMCC over the last twenty two years are the very things that have caused me to fall in love with it too. So I want to draw out some of those connections uh, as we go forward. I'm going to look forward to listening to that. That's <laughs> I'll just be a participant listener. All right, absolutely. Thanks, thanks, Adam, for your. Yeah, questions. I it's fun for me to kind of reminisce and talk about old times and all yeah. the ways that God has kind of moved me through my life to a point where uh, this could be a reality. So I'm very, very grateful to God for everything. Yeah, and it's really been a special thing to be a part of as well. I'm with Eric too. You know, being in this organization for now, you know, three years and being able to see. Um, just uh, my wife and I just loving this organization, seeing those same types of things and as Eric was talking about. So I agree. I'm excited to to talk about that uh, as well. And really just interested, you know, for those that are maybe listening that do attend SMCC to hear more about the internals of SMCC. And then also if there's listeners that are listening, I think there definitely will be uh, is that there's people that are just trying to seek this out. They're trying to ask, you know, I've, I've heard about SMCC. I maybe, you know, live in Utah or, or, you know, live close outside of it. And I've maybe heard about, you know, different people that maybe are leaving religion and trying to find something else. And so I think it's gonna be interesting for people to hear those internals, how this works as well. So I'm excited for, for what's to come in this and to hear those different parts and really um, just for people to continue to be able to, to learn more about this, this vision that's happened in terms of where this church is headed um, and uh, the goals that and the mission and values that we have. And so I think that'll be a really, really cool thing to, to learn more about. Thanks again for joining us for the Fully Delighted Podcast. If you enjoyed this hopeful and helpful resource, we'd love to have you leave us a review or share an episode with a friend. For more information about SMCC, please visit us at our website at smccutah.org. Thank you for trusting us with your time, and we look forward to having you back again soon.